Sisters before misters. But honestly, how many of us actually give our sisters the loving they deserve? Natasha Evans saw the discomfort and over-sexualization of laundry purchasing in the media industry and said, enough is enough. Hi, I'm Sulin. And I'm Kessel. You're listening to The Recess Podcast. Hi, Natasha. Welcome to the show. Hi, Kessel. Hi, Sulin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. We're so happy to have you on the pod. Let's just dive right in. Um, you're doing amazing things at Soko. You had an amazing pop-up this past week. But I want to ask, like, before Soko, what were you doing? I was not doing anything related to bras. <laughs> uh-huh, whatsoever. Uh-huh. In fact, I hated bras. And okay. before starting this startup, I was in finance. I was living in New York City. I had been in the uh-huh. U.S. for 11 years. And wow. I was specifically in the private equity industry. I worked at the same company for yeah, five years. And then prior to that, I did two, uh, a year as a broker. So I, I had different jobs in the finance industry, but most recently in private equity. So, yep. The only thing I had to do with bras was just being a frustrated consumer. <laughs> Which leads me to my question. What event inspired you to start Soko? Or was it just a collective of 50 years of hitting bras or like, you know, traditions and generations of hitting bras? I don't mean you're 50 years old. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I speak on behalf of all women. Like, no, I'm kidding. But, but definitely the latter. It wasn't one specific event. It was a collection of just moments in time where I was personally really frustrated, not only with bras themselves, with and it was also the bra shopping experience, right? It's the whole thing. It's like, it's it, it's a chore for most women. And when I did my research, I found that nine out of 10 women just don't enjoy the bra shopping experience as a whole. It's something we avoid. People hold on to bras for as many years as they can until like the underwire starts poking out and then maybe you'll go bra shopping or you'll avoid getting fitted and you'll wear the same size for so many years just because you don't want to have that experience of someone, you know, wrapping that tape around you and an auntie making you feel kind of uncomfortable. So, you know, that's one aspect of like the experience itself, but it's also just the the messaging and, you know, you mentioned over-sexualization. That is really what drove me to start Soko in that when I lived in New York, I was seeing all these other brands, not just in the bra category, but in different verticals that were popping up and challenging the status quo and saying, hey, the status quo is not having values that aligns to what I believe in, right? So you're seeing all these brands pop up in the US, but it was taking slower to kind of happen here in Malaysia. And no one was really doing it in the bra space here. So I said, okay, let's take that kind of, you know, model and bring it to Malaysia and Southeast Asia, but definitely localize it, right? So people always ask me like, how, like, how are you going to market bras in a Muslim country? Like, how are you going to do that, right? Yeah. And I, I always say it's, you have to do it respectfully. You have to do it in a way that is, you know, respectful of local culture and customs. And you can't just copy paste something that works in the West and then bring it to the East, right? Like, of course, there's a lot of ideas, but you have to localize it. And that's for me, um, having grown up in Asia for most of my life, I definitely understood that. And I understood understood that there's a lot of messaging here in the media that we don't relate to. We're not represented enough. And no one kind of dared to do that in the bra industry because it's almost a taboo subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to explore that um, idea of over-sexualization, especially in the Malaysian context a little bit more. When did you notice this was a problem? And like you said, you know, in Malaysia, we're a little bit more conservative, not so much like lingerie and that kind of thing. So where is this over-sexualization problem in Malaysia then? 
Yeah. I mean, it happens. I mean, it's all over Instagram. If you're looking at any lingerie brand, it's in the shopping malls, right? If you walk by, I don't want to name names, but if you walk by certain brands, you know, mm-hmm. you can feel a bit more discomfort feeling, you know, a certain type of messaging that they're trying to portray this, this very outdated, narrow definition of beauty. That's so like, I don't even know, like 20, 30 years ago, that's still like, is still in the shopping malls today. Like no one relates to that, at least not people in, in our generation and, you know, the Gen Z generation as well. Like it just doesn't connect anymore. Yeah. It could have made it, it. I don't think it connected ever at some point, to be honest. I think it was just, <laughs> There's a lot of, to be honest, there's a lot of men in the bra industry. So it could have been- Which is ironic. Yeah. You know, like when I was talking with suppliers and everything, I was talking to a lot of men and, you know, men are great. It's just that this is a product that should be built for women by women. Right. And so I just feel like that maybe that connection was missing as well in the industry. Um, And you can see that that's happening in the U.S. with Victoria's Secret. Right. For example, I'll just name that one name because it's the most obvious one. You're seeing a lot of competitors challenge that and they themselves are have suffered and taken a dip in their market share because of that. And they just were too late, a little bit too late. Yeah, they got into sports bras and bralettes and they suddenly had, you know, they got rid of the whole fashion show and everything. And I was so happy when they got rid of that because for me, it was never something to aspire to, you know, Mm -hmm. this aspirational type of one dimensional beauty to be Mm -hmm. this angel. I never related to that even when I was in elementary school, you know, or middle school. And yet mm-hmm. I still had to go through that same thing. I had to walk into that store and have all these images in my face of telling me like, oh, let me just lift your boobs three times up, you know, like well, I don't, three yeah. times bigger. Like, I don't need that. I just want something that can uh, make me feel comfortable, function well, and also just make me feel good about myself. And, you know, why is that so hard? Um, so I, I'm just hoping that the brand, you know, Soko that I've built with my co-founder, who's also my husband, by the way, that um, it helps to accelerate that change here in this mm-hmm. region. I like how, like, when we talk about over-sexualization, we see that it's kind of, in a way, and you've mentioned this as well, the bra industry is surprisingly dominated by men, considering who your consumer base is. It seems like the marketing as well is very directed towards men. So what are your thoughts on, let's say, um, boyfriends buying their girlfriends' lingeries? Because we are in the holiday season, and then, you know, we're we're getting each other's Christmas gifts. So what do you think about, like, boyfriends buying um, their girlfriends' lingeries as gifts? Yeah, no, I think that's great. We actually had our you know, uh, two male customers over the weekend at our, at our pop-up. And I was really happy because they were male allies and they were asking questions, like good questions about like, how do I find out my you know girlfriend's bra size? Like, what do you guys measure? They, was, you know, they were asking me like, you know, how do I figure this out? And I actually, before we even launched, actually, I had a couple of guys message me and said, hey, I want to buy, you know, some cute bras and cute comfy bras for my girlfriend. Like, how do I, I want it, I want it to be a surprise. Like, what should I do? So I had them take pictures of like the bra size, like in, you know, and their drawers. <laughs> <laughs> like you know figure it out together and in, in that way it can be a really fun and helpful exercise for men you know to figure out like what you know and put themselves in our shoes like it's not as easy as buying like you know underwear like like panties right or boxers or whatever so for them it's like oh this is what women have to go through to just to understand like what they have to do to shop for bras and it's not you know they weren't t- t- talking about it in a sexual way and you know that in itself if you want to buy your girlfriend you know, beautiful, delicate lingerie. That's also really nice. And if that's something she wants, right? Again, you kind of have to check in as a partner. Is that something she wants? And it's not something that you're imposing on her. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really, I really like the support that we have from male allies. And as I mentioned, my husband is my is my co-founder. And for him, you know, like we did this together uh, in a sense that you know we we are seeing it from a male perspective and a female perspective, and we're bringing it together. And how do we 
desexualize this over-sexualized industry. I'm not saying like get rid of all the sexualization. I'm just saying let's tap into the values and connect with the values of women today and actually listen to the customers. What do they want? And let me tell you, when we talk to customers even today and even before we launch, sexy is still a word that comes up. But what is the definition of sexy to you? What does that mean? I love that it's just about having conversations and not just completely like cancelling out and labeling and like this is bad but like let's have conversations what do you want what's your value and you can try to provide for them you mentioned that you were in New York City like for 11 years before starting Soko is that a brand that you looked up to that they were hey you know what they're doing this right and I want to try to um do this in Malaysia yeah, there's so many brands, honestly. Like, I love all the DTC brands. There's mm-hmm. a great uh, website that collects all these brands. If you ever want to follow it, it's called thingtesting.com. And mm-hmm. it just shows like the thousands of brands that are popping up, mostly in the US, but also in Europe. And there wasn't one, there was not one in particular that I was like enamored with, but more of a collection. So basically, my entire wardrobe from obviously my bra to my earrings to my shoes. So like, you know, my, like Allbirds is a great example for me. Like, even though we're not in footwear or or as, or as sustainable as any of these, you know, other com- companies that are certified B Corps, um, Allbirds for me is a really good example of getting like one product really right and spending a lot of years, you know, working at it before, uh, you know, uh, before taking off really. Like it, t- it takes a lot, people don't understand the pre-launch phase takes a really long time and you have to do a lot of development before like launching things. You can't just, I mean, you can There are two avenues typically for an entrepreneur. Either you do a lot of research and you invest in that path and then you come up with your product, right? Like doing all that market research by talking to people on the front end, but also on the back end. And in Allbirds case, they created an entirely new like fiber to create shoes out of wool. Like they really, they spent four years developing that and working with like the New Zealand like board of whatever to create this special type of. Wool. I was yeah. like, wow, like that's uh-huh. like a next level, right? Yeah. Then yeah. there's the people, the other avenue is like, okay, let me just kind of like go to Alibaba or AliExpress, kind of step my label on it and then go that way. So there's, there's two very different routes to kind of approach, you know, any market if you're starting a new business. And for us, we went down this route where it was, it took us a couple of years to, you know, develop and really talk to and understand people. Um, but yeah, so Allbirds, is a good one. Warby Parker is a great one. Warby Parker was like the like I think the, one of the first DTC brands in the U.S. that really challenged um, just like the the experience from like buying glasses. So they would send yep. out five, like four to five pair of glasses that you can take home, and mm-hmm. you just try them on, and you trust that the customer is going to return those glasses. Yes. Back to you. Yep. Yep. It's like, yep. You know, I don't know if that model will work in Malaysia. <laughs> in Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. But in the lingerie space, there is a brand in the U.S. that's really doing amazingly well. Um, run mm-hmm. by two like students that just dropped out of college, pretty much, to run this brand, and mm-hmm. uh, it's called Parade. And yes, I want to talk about that because when I think about yeah. Soko, I think about parade oh underwear and yes, <laughs> you are you're going there, man? Yes, I have yes. major, I have major crushes on them because they, <laughs> they just push the boundaries. They yep. represent like di- they take diversity and inclusivity to the next level. I feel and yep, yep. I to agree. be honest, I don't think uh, Southeast Asia is ready for that type of uh, you know discussion yet. Because again, remember we have to do this respectfully here, little by little. Yes. Like parade just kind of mm. went. Boom, we're going to like, you know, we're going to 
put nipples everywhere. We're going to show you all sorts of, you know, backgrounds. And I love that. Of course, me personally, having been, um, uh, having lived in New York and being part of that uh, environment, I am, an, you know, you could be a half unicorn and I'm totally supportive of you wearing a bra. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think little by little, maybe eventually we'll get there in Malaysia. We just have to make sure that we are not, uh, you know, stepping on toes here and making sure that people mm-hmm. don't feel, um, you know, like um, offended. Yeah, doing it respectfully. I love that. What was the experience like starting a business in the middle of a pandemic, especially with like all this logistic delays and issues? Yeah, it was tricky. I mean, we arrived here eight months before the pandemic. So for us, we were just getting acquainted. I hadn't lived in Malaysia for a long time, even though I've come back here every year. Uh, I just needed to get to know more people. So we went into um, a, a co-working space and got to meet more people, really under, kind of understanding and see how we fit into like the startup ecosystem in Malaysia, just making friends. We did focus groups those first few months here. Um, so just really getting to know people. And then, then the pandemic came, right? And we were no longer in a co-working space. And we were like, okay, let's work from home. And it was a completely new experience and our factories closed down. So I learned from that experience is, what I learned from that experience is that you always need to have a plan B and a plan C because nothing's ever going to happen like to your exact plan. And you can be easily disappointed that way. And I was, I was like, Oh man, like now what? And I know I have to really maintain relationships, not only creating and creating relationships and connecting with people, but maintaining those relationships because when, you know, bleep hits the fan, you need to make sure those relationships can come through. And that's exactly what happened. Like we had met a couple of manufacturers in Hong Kong um, before the pandemic, like that, yeah, those first eight months while we were in Malaysia, we ended up reconnecting with a few of those suppliers during the pandemic and just checking in and seeing, okay, are, are you guys open? Like, how's it going for you? Like, maybe we should, you know, maybe start the development process with you guys as well, just to see like how that, that, you know, that, uh, that goes because we're not sure like who's going to open or who's going to you know, survive this pandemic, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so manufacturing was definitely a big hurdle. Uh, logistics uh, for us was less of a hurdle because by the time we actually had the, the bras arrive, it was actually the next year and because it was 2021. So it was a little bit less of a, a hassle for us, but definitely manufacturing itself is and was a challenge and takes a lot of patience because it's not in your control. How involved are you in the design process? Oh, 100%. Yes, yeah. it's all like, our design. I conceptualize the designs. I will run by the design. I will run a design by uh, people who I think would represent our target market. So I don't, I don't, you know, put it out on Instagram or anything yet, but I don't pull it, but I do, rep, I do select a few people to, you know, look at the design and give us some feedback. Um, that's the initial part of the design. Then it has to be technically drawn into something called a tech pack. So that I don't have, I did not go to school for. So we obviously hire a designer, a technical designer to do that, who is amazing. And I highly recommend that. I highly recommend do, uh, people not cutting corners and finding like some, you know, uh, sometimes my, the quote, not I, that I live by, but that I remember is that cheap is expensive. If you try and go cheap in the beginning, it can hurt you later on. So yeah. Startup lesson 101. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, this, this designer is, is, has worked her butt off for us and I'm super, I'm super grateful that we found her and it wasn't easy finding her. It's not like everyone, it's not like there's that many people that are proficient in the technical bra design and she has a great background and we found we got really lucky to be honest and so um again like you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket so make sure you find you know other alternatives but we really trust her and she's been such an, an instrumental help in the technical design and also just teaching me about bras as well like I am 
I'm a bra-preneur, not only because of owning the bra, but I feel like I have a lot of knowledge now that I have that credibility, right? I, I did not come from the bra space. I was a finance girl before this, but in order to, in order for you to gain respect in the industry and, you know, you have to know your stuff. You can't go meet a manufacturer and not know what you're talking about. So having a designer, uh, you know, to teach you and having just spending time to just kind of catch up gives you that credibility. So that's really, that's really important. And then after that, actually the design work is also comes from the, from again, from our target market. So before we launched, for example, we had 50 women try on our bras because we need feedback on the fit. Like we don't, I, I only represent one size. I need, you know, many more people to tell me, okay, is this fit? Is this not fit? Is this comfortable? Is this not comfortable? Is it supportive? Is it not supportive? So yeah. So we, had to do that actually most of it virtually because it was during MCO and it was a really interesting exercise because I, I remember at one point we were like, should we wait until MCO is over before we start fittings? And I was like, no way. Can you imagine? We would have, we probably wouldn't have even launched until like yeah, now. Yeah. So I'm glad we didn't wait. And some things are just like, you know what, let's just work the best we can and find a solution um, to help with that. So yeah, the design was really a collaborative process, obviously starting with myself, works with a technical designer. And then you have the inputs that come from the people themselves, the people who are actually going to end up buying and wearing your bra. One of the um, challenges that Soko is trying to overcome is, I wouldn't say challenge, but uh, so that when we go shopping in store, we don't have to face this like pushy sales agent. Um, but, at the same, um, but at the same time, when we shop online, sometimes it's like, oh, does this size fit me? Is it going to be the perfect fit? Um, what are the biggest challenges that Soko faces being a mostly online bra shop? Oh, yes. Yep. You hit the nail on the head. Bras have to fit, right? It's not like yeah. just a loose top and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind yeah. of an S, I'm kind of an M, I'm kind of an L, like, eh, whatever. Or if it doesn't fit, I'll just give it to my sister or whatever, right? Yeah, bras <laughs> right. have to fit. And the tolerance, by the way, like the plus minus when we give our specs is in the single digits, millimeters. So like, it's very, very unforgiving uh, if you get the wrong size. And so there are a couple of things we did. One is we decided not to go down the route of the traditional alphanumeric sizing. So as you see from our size chart, we don't have uh, 32B, C, D, right. 34B, C, D, whatever. We don't go, we purposely did not go down that route. And we actually... Change, we made that decision and we changed our size chart um, during the pandemic because of that. We said, you know what? We found out that most women don't actually know, like are not necessarily wearing the right size. Like they think they might be wearing the right size, but sizes across brands are so confusing. So we said, you know what? Let's just go down this, this letter sizing route, the extra small to the extra, extra large, you know, like let's go down this route instead. Because when you're buying a bra, you're you're like committing to this side, let's say it's a 38B or something, right? And then you put it on, you're going to be like, oh man, it doesn't fit. And then you have to go through this process of returning it. And let's say you choose a 38C or something, and that one's not going to fit. Then it's like, this is a headache. It's too many SKUs. The return logistics is a nightmare. It's not even fully fleshed out in Malaysia yet. So we said, let's just hedge ourselves as well to make sure that we are not, um, you know, offering all these SKUs and the minimums are really high. And let's start here. Let's just see if people even like like the bra concept as a whole. So this is a lower risk way to approach the market and test our product market fit by having this type of letter sizing instead. Um, that's one thing that we did. Another thing that we did was that we decided to um, have our size chart in 
under bus measurements and bus measurements. So meaning that, okay, let's say Kessel, you tell me you're whatever, 34C, right? And then Sulin, you tell me you're 34, you're 34D or whatever. That means I nothing. <laughs> it's really confusing because a 34C and a 34D are, are in one brand could be something completely different in another brand. Yep. So it means nothing to me when someone says, okay, I'm at, I mean, not nothing, but it means it doesn't mean that much to me because if you tell me you're a 34C, you actually could be a 34G, by the way, in another brand. So it's, it's, I had to, I basically mapped out like 20 competitor size charts and tried to wow. reconcile. And so when someone tells me, okay, I'm a 34C, I always ask them, okay, what brand? And uh, what do you normally wear for like when you're wearing a sports bra? And when was the last time you got measured? Because even if you say you're a 34C, you could be a 34C, like, like whatever, for three years ago, but now you're not. So that's why we, we encourage people to measure themselves. And we include free measuring tape in every first purchase. So if you order the wrong size, you have the measuring tape, we will return it and exchange it for you for free. So it is pretty much a risk-free purchase unless we don't carry your size yet. And even then we give you a full refund. Yeah. Well, I feel like what you've been saying in the past two minutes, just I, I can relate so well because um, I feel like I can never find the perfect bra, like a t-shirt bra or like a, um, because girls, we have so many types of um, tops. But do you think there is a perfect bra for a woman? Ooh, you know... <laughs> Well, other than Toko bras, no, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> yes, girl. I, for, I mean, I, for me, it's like, it's it's hard to say what's a perfect bra because I feel like it depends on the outfit. And I, uh -huh. I did a poll yes. on this once and I said, do you guys pick your bra first or do you pick your outfit first? I think a lot of girls pick their outfit first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why like we decided only to come up with three styles at first. Yep. And actually, by the way, we had a fourth, but the fourth was a complete dud. So again, hedge yourself. Like don't just, if you, <laughs> if you know you want three styles, Design four or design five so that you end up only having three, by the way. Um, yeah, that's why we only come up with a few styles in the beginning because we said, you know, you have different outfits for different, you have different bras for different outfits and you have to see like what works well under what. And for me, the perfect bra is conceptually wireless. So meaning more comfortable than a wired bra and can function well, but also looks really cute. So, uh, and also affordable, right? It's like, because bras aren't meant to last like more than a, like a few years. You, you, you know, I have something called, I mean, most women have something called like what I call the, the bra graveyard. And you just have these bras in the back of your drawer <laughs> that just collect like dust because they look pretty and you don't know what to do with them. Um, but yeah, you know, those are not, those are examples of not the perfect bra because they're just sitting there and yeah, they look nice, but maybe they're not comfortable. Maybe they're saving it for a perfect for some special occasion. But the perfect bra is one the one that is your go-to, is the one you grab first in your drawer that you know what? You're like, whatever, forget the outfit. I'm just gonna go with the bra first. This is so comfy. I'll wear whatever outfit to fit the bra. So yeah, I hope that answers. <laughs> That's very interesting. So on your website, you have this um, bar school section where you have a bunch of articles teaching people things. And I saw this article about sister sizing. So yes. I heard about sister sizing a few years ago as a life hack on YouTube. People were like, oh, if you go to a shop and you want to buy something and you don't have your size, then use sister sizing. So I actually did that when I was at Cotton On on one of their sales. I was getting a bikini and it was super cute, but they did not have my size. So then I went to Google sister sizing and then I could go um, one cup up or one cup down and I'm getting the cup down and it was like it, it fit perfectly fine but can you tell us a little bit more about sister sizing like what is it how does it work what is this magic 
<laughs> yes, exactly. I'm so glad that you use that, you know, that trick. And not many people know about that. I also did a poll on Instagram about that. And people were like, what is this? And <laughs> it's, it's, it, I mean, I think maybe conceptually it makes sense, but just like the name people are like, what is sister size? I don't, you know, what does that even mean? And they don't even teach you that, you know, when you go into a store, they don't tell you like, oh, you should try this one instead. Or, or maybe they do, maybe the auntie gives it to you, but you don't know why. So that's what, you know, the whole idea of bra school came to us really early because when, as I was learning, I was like, this is this is such helpful information. Like, why hasn't anyone ever taught us this? Not even my mom has taught me this. Like, no one has taught me this. And like, people should know. You should be, you should be able to go into a bra shop and any brand and know, like, okay, like, like what kind of bras are there? How do I put on the bra? Like, which hook should I put it on? What should I be adjusting? You know, if my boobs are bigger because it's that time of month, like, you know, maybe like I should factor that into my decision. Like maybe I should come back to the shop later or whatever, or maybe I should buy two bra sizes or, you know, how should I even wash my bra? Like there's so many things that I learned about, you know, bras that no one ever taught me. So that's why I was like, you know what? This is knowledge that can empower anyone regardless of what gender you are like just use this you know this is free information i decided to do all the research for everyone and just kind of dump it into bra school and hopefully that page will expand over time but yes back to sister sizing it's very helpful basically okay let me just illustrate this example i I like to use this a mountain for example okay so let's say you're okay let's say you're uh this is the mountain right like this is the shape of the mountain it has a peak it has a slope at the top right sorry for the listeners imagine (laughs) a mountain and there's a slope at the top okay imagine that slope now is is narrowing okay that 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 mountain starts shrinking like it's thinner now where is that slope where's that peak gonna go it's gonna compensate by going upwards right right so now this mountain is going in 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 and now the peak goes up higher okay Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the original mountain. That original mountain now is going wider. Okay, what happens to the peak then? The peak is now going lower. It's getting flatter. So that's how you can kind of imagine what sister sizing is. So basically, if you're going down a band size, okay, so when that mountain is going smaller, that means your peak is going higher. So your cup size has to, has to go up. So it doesn't like naturally make sense. But if you think about it from the mountain analogy, like, oh, okay, like where else? The, like the mountain has to go somewhere. Like the peak has to go somewhere. So you have to compensate by going up. So let's illustrate this with a size. So let's say you're a 34C, right? And you don't have the 34C. You go into the bra shop and there's no 34C. You think, oh, maybe I should try a 34D or a 34B. And that's not the right answer. Don't go down that route you need to change your band. And if you change your band, you need to change your cup. Because when people say, oh, I'm a B cup or, oh, I'm a C cup, that it means nothing. It means nothing without the actual number of the band. So 34C, you should be trying a 32, right? If you're going down, if you go down one. Okay, Sulin, what, what, what cup size do I go down to from a 34C? 34C, so you- And I'm doing, if I'm doing 32, you're doing 32 wait yeah. uh so it's one yeah i know it's like one direction one direction so if you're going 34 c you can either yeah. be a 32 d or a yes, 36 b yes correct perfect wow. exactly Math. there you go <laughs> <Math>. exactly. <laughs> exactly the trick the trick is if you go down a band mm-hmm. up a size yeah. If you go up a band, go down a go down a cup size. Yeah. And that's, that's just really it's really it's just inversely proportional. That's all that you have to remember. If something goes up, something else has to go down. If you don't, if, if there's anything you take away from this, <laughs> is that whatever whatever goes up, the other one goes down. There's only two components of a bra size, and that's all you have to remember. We and don't that's have life in a like nutshell. <laughs> 
Sorry? <laughs> that's life in a nutshell. <laughs> something goes up, <laughs> something has to come down. <laughs> Perfect. That's a great way to remember it. I love that. And especially like what you said about like, we can't just say, oh, I'm a B cup. Oh, I'm a C cup. Oh, she's a D cup. That kind of thing. It really does depend as well on the um, band size. But then again, your cup does not matter. Your body is beautiful regardless. Yes, <laughs> all, all boobies. All, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because you know, obviously we, we have limited sizing right now. And I, I, my company is entirely self-funded by my savings and my husband's savings. And we're not, you know, we're not looking for funding and we're looking to just kind of grow this at our own pace. And, you know, and I can only start with so much and the MOQs are so high. And I, my, my goal obviously is to be as inclusive and as diverse as possible. Yeah. We have to start somewhere. And I obviously just, I get saddened when people are like, oh, why don't you like, you know, like you're not representing enough people that are not. I'm like, I know I'm getting there. It's like, <laughs> It's, trust yeah. me, like I, there's no one more passionate than me in trying to make this, you know, trying to make the, the parade of Malaysia, right? But like, I need, I just need to, I, I need to start somewhere, get feedback, and I don't want to just like, you know, flood the market with like stuff that people don't want. And so we are having more sizes very soon, and more colors and more styles. But yeah, it's all, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a take, it takes a while. It's a work in progress. That's right. Yeah. So um, Soko's one, I think probably if I had to pick one big thing from Soko, it's comfort, right? Like your number one thing is like, we want things to be comfortable. And then there are women like me who are like airports and, you know, the sisters just need a little bit of a lift. We need a little uh, extra push up and things like that. So are there any plans to, and, and I ask this for very selfish reasons, obviously, but are there any plans for Soko to take that whole um, idea of comfort and then move it into a slightly more uh, comfortable push-up bra, comfortable convertible bra, special occasion bra, stick-on bras that actually work and are comfortable. She asks. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so to be to be very honest, we what determines our product pipeline is not what what I want, and we did do some. We did we did do some focus groups and you know talks with some women and figure out like what should be the next products. And to be honest. Our, our demographic is actually older than what we thought. And a lot of them are moms and they are looking for a you know, comfortable, like, you know, uh, a lot of moms are asking for nursing bras. And I was like, wow, I didn't even initially have that in my pipeline. And so I was, I was only considering it because people are, have been emailing us and asking us like, why don't you make nursing bras? Why don't you make like these like sexier nursing bras? So, you know, so it's interesting. Again, it comes back to like, what is sexy to you? What is comfort to you? So for me, it's like, okay, like if for you, for example, Sulin, if you mentioned, you know, if pushups are comfortable for you, that's great. Like, I want to know what comfort means to you. I want to know what sexy means to you. So I do have to go around and kind of collect the information and that helps to inform our product pipeline for us going what's most What's the biggest priority right now is making bigger sizes. So of the existing styles, just because I want the you know a, a, a bigger population of the women to make to make sure that they feel like they can access our current lineup as well. So for us, that's where our current resources are being allocated to. And again, we're not just doing that in silo. We're getting feedback from women, even from Rio this weekend. We collected a whole list of women who wanted to be involved in that process. And yeah, by the way, if anyone wants to be part of the process, you get a free bra. And that's how we, uh, you know, that's how we lure you in. Um, yeah. In terms of push-up, I'm not saying no. I'm just saying that the priority right now is to get, you know, we have limited resources. Therefore, we were, we are going to focus on getting more sizes for the existing styles and kind of uh, work around, for example, our romance bra, which is this lacy bra, is doing really well. And how do we, you know, take this bra that's really well, but change it up so it's still something new. So one of the ideas that we have is making, you know, using this silhouette, 
but changing the fabrics around that, right? Because you know something's working. So how do you like you, you don't you want to keep your customer excited, right? So it's like, okay, let's take something that works and and tap into that existing customer because you worked so hard to acquire that customer anyway, and maybe make something that. Um, you know, is like the romance bra, but not quite the same, but just, you know, uh, tapping on to certain elements that are working really well with that. So the signature element in all our bras is that it has this wide, uh, comfortable band, like signature support band, which is kind of like wearing like a sports bra, but a lot comfier. Um, so that's the signature element that we would have probably, and whether it's push up or not, um, I, you know, for me, it's like, if we have a bra that has removable padding, maybe, maybe it's an option to just get, you know, uh, have padding that's push up. So then you can kind of choose, right? So there are yeah. certain bra companies that have um, that um, that offer two sets of padding when you buy a bra. So that could be an option for us, for example, or maybe we could add it as an add-on. You can buy push-up padding as extra because you know you don't have to necessarily make a push-up bra specifically to tap into the push-up bra like market of the girls who want that. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm just trying to be a bit more. Um, uh, I'm trying to be cognizant of what the customer wants versus like. Um, sorry, majority of what a customer wants and um, not just hearing like what I want and not just like what my friends want or things like that. So yes, definitely, Sulin, I hear you. I will put your, I will put you down on the push-up bra list and mm-hmm. evaluate yes, that to other opportunities. I volunteer <laughs> myself to test out your, your first prototypes of push-up bras if you, need, <laughs> sure. if you need anyone, because if you can make these things have something that I am all for it. But I love how you listen to your customers and you're just like, yes, we're going to do it. I never ever thought of it for some reason when I was doing uh, like, you know, when we were looking into this. Uh, I don't know why. I think it's because we're all like quite relatively young. We're all like in our 20s-ish. We never really think about like nursing bras being the biggest thing that people want, you know? Exactly, yeah. And, you know, for our our first photo shoot, I had different girls from different backgrounds and different bra sizes like represented, right? Obviously, again, like even if you have it, even if I think it's diverse, other people are not going to say it's diverse Mm -hmm. enough. But again, we just start somewhere. And we had a girl who was, you know, small chested. And, and, you know... uh, and people are like, oh, like, why do you want to have, like, you should have a girl with bigger boobs. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why? The itty bitty titty committee needs to be oh. represented too. <laughs> you know? Like, it's like, you gotta have, all boobs are beautiful. Like, you can, for me, it's just like, why is it that diversity always, people think it's like bigger. Everything has to be bigger. I get it. We're we're getting there as well. But let's not forget, let's not forget there's another segment. And, then, and like, for example, maybe we should consider having an extra, extra small size, Right. Like that's also part of the diversity conversation that people are not having just because you're smaller and you're skinny or whatever doesn't mean that you should not be represented either. Okay, I'm going to try that that phrase now. On behalf of the Itty Bitty Titty Committee, oh my gosh, that is the best <laughs> quote. Okay, on behalf of the Itty Bitty Titty Committee, thank you so much for coming on today. It was really fun talking to you about the girls. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for having me, Sulin and Kessel. It's been so fun and love what you're both doing and thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye now. Bye.